Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. G'day folks and welcome to Australian UFO Sightings official podcast. I'm your host Anthony Goodall and you're listening to Encounters Down Under. Here we invite guests on the show to tell us about their encounters with aliens and UFOs, where most of our episodes were streamed live from our Facebook page, which gave listeners the opportunity to ask questions to our guests regarding their encounter. If you have had an encounter and would like to be a guest on the show, please get in touch with us. You can send us a message through our Facebook page, Encounters Down Under, or send us an email at AustralianUFOSightings at Outlook.com.au. Be sure to join us on Facebook and share with your friends and family to help us grow, and hopefully encourage others to come forward with their encounter. If you're an iTunes listener and a fan of the show, why not give us that five-star rating and review, and you could have your review featured on the podcast. But enough of that, let's get into what you've been waiting for. So kick back, relax with your favourite beverage, and enjoy the show. G'day folks and welcome back to another episode of Encounters Down Under. Man of the Universe, Doug Moffat, joins us back on the show to continue telling us about his journey being an investigator researcher on the phenomena. We also talk about what might be a touchy subject to some regarding religion. So I'd just like to remind you that everything on this podcast is based on personal opinions from myself and my guests. So without further ado, please welcome back Doug. Welcome back to the show there, Man of the Universe, Doug. G'day mate, how you going? Yeah, good things, Anthony. Uh, pleased to be back. Mate, absolutely awesome having you back on here, mate. We covered a heap of stuff there last week there, going through mm. your career as a UFO researcher and investigator from your early starting off, basically, and going mm. through your whole research history almost. But we haven't touched on everything just yet, mate. And look, mate, I want to go and touch on probably your most compelling sort of investigations that you did there, mate. Look, um, and you also even mentioned that you had a bit of a sighting of your own. Um, so I'd love to go and find out what this what happened on this um encounter of yours mm-hmm. well my my personal encounter uh i felt was rather underwhelming because i had spoken to many people over many years that had seen craft 20 meters away and all this sort of thing and and uh basically i was traveling down the m4 in sydney uh, from west to east down one of the major arteries of, of Sydney. And, and uh, it was around about 8 o'clock in the morning. And it was a very busy road, very busy artery, as you can imagine. And around about, I would estimate, telegraph pole and a half high was an object sitting above the freeway, totally stationary. 
Now, it was, I estimate, because of the closeness of the encounter, I could estimate that it was probably about a meter and a half high by about half a meter wide. And the best way I could describe it was like um, a prune. Um, it seemed to have wrinkled sides, it was black, and it had wrinkled sides, almost like a helium balloon that, you know, when helium balloon run out of the helium, they get crinkly, you know. But this was very high. And it was staying stagnant and positional over the freeway. And I knew balloons did not do this. You know, balloons moved, you know. So I knew it wasn't a balloon. I was looking at it through my windscreen and, you know, trying to keep an eye on the road as well because I was doing 100, 110 Ks. Um, and, and I'm just thinking this thing is not moving. You know, like, what is this thing? And then I examined it closer, and yes, it was this uh, rippled, prune-like object that was just hanging there over the freeway, motorway. And uh, I actually tried, uh, viewed it for several minutes and uh, drove underneath it. Um, and much to my regret to this day, I didn't pull over to the side of the road because I was running late for work and I, I didn't want to be late for work. But I, I should really, uh, you know, <laughs> pulled over the side of the road and, and taken some photos of it. Um, you know, but I didn't. And I, I just kept on driving. Um, but yes, this thing did not move the whole time. So my understanding of that was that it was some kind of obviously I don't think it was a manned, you know, if you can use that word, um, vehicle, because um, it was very small. But I think it was a probe, like you know, we send Mars rovers and all that kind of thing to Mars, you know. So I think it was a similar sort of thing. I think it was a a probe of some kind. And being that it was positioned above one of the major uh, arteries for traffic. Um, in Sydney, my guess is that it was measuring carbon dioxide. Okay. We still got you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah that's my guess. Yeah, no, that's really strange. Um, you know, because I can't think of the reason why it would be doing carbon monoxide. That's It's quite strange. Well, you know, I, I'm thinking just from a pollution point of view, you know, just uh, from a pollution point of view, measuring the amount of pollution, because obviously if you've got a very difficult, uh, you know, a very busy uh, motorway with lots of cars going up and down, there's going to be a lot of carbon dioxide coming out, which is, you know, damaging to the uh, environment. So, you know, I, I'm just guessing that that's yeah. why it was positioned over um, a motorway. Um, Another reason why I was positioned over the road, motorway, perhaps, is that if you look at our life from an extraterrestrial point of view, we sort of, uh, we, we get up at, you know, eight o'clock and five o'clock, the roads are chockers, and the rest of the time, there's no one there. So it's probably going to look a bit weird from their point of view, like, why why are these animals, you know? Well, scurrying out at eight o'clock and scurrying back at five o'clock. 
Um, and yet the middle of the day, there's nothing there, nothing happening. So, you know, that could be another reason why they're trying to understand why we do what we do. Because uh, in a very advanced society, I would imagine they wouldn't have peak hours like that. They would even things out a bit more. Yeah. Now, that sort of makes sense. It sort of makes you think, like, too, like, um, like depending on how advanced they would be then, surely they'd have something in the history books of where they would have been at the same stage of our evolution at their point of evolution. You know, like, I'm sure, like, every sort of intelligible, intelligent race would sort of come across that kind of peak of evolution at that point. You know, you go through those stages, like, you know how we went through, like, Bronze Stage, Steam Age, the Industrial Age, yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Surely these yeah. other advanced races would have come through that sort of stage in their life cycles as well one would think yeah exactly so i think a lot of a lot of what they're doing is uh, looking at their own history <laughs> yeah um what they're doing is saying okay this is where we were you know twenty thousand years ago and you know all the a lot of the records have been destroyed because of had wars and this that and the other and who knows you know history right his story who knows who wrote it um and what agenda they had so to be able to go back in time uh which is sort of what it is and go okay this is what's happening is like a history lesson for for themselves yeah actually i'll tell you what like i would actually absolutely love to do that like just go back to like the medieval ages where people you know were going through like a bronze age or you know uh i don't know what do you call it the um you know medieval days basically and just watching how we evolved through that time like to me that's like that's really interesting so when you put it like that it sort of really does make sense of going through some other civilization and watching the same thing go through so yeah that, that's yeah. really intriguing yeah because as you say we all would have gone through you know our bronze age our iron age our stone age you know our technological age our information age you know and so on and so on um, we all would have gone through it. Um, so, but if, if this is 20,000 years ago for them, um, the idea of being able to observe it firsthand uh, gives them a very clear firsthand information about the sort of things that would have gone on for them. So if there is some, you know, in history there are, you know, were this person a good person or a bad person? You know, it depends who wrote the story, right? Yeah. So this gives you the opportunity to go back and go, well, this is what happened for them. So that's, you know, that that means this guy was right and this guy was wrong. Yeah, if only they would have shared that knowledge. <laughs> you know, that would be sort of like, you know, change history books basically going, oh, this guy was the hero according to our records, but he was an actual, absolute asshole, you know? Um, it would have been yeah. good to know. And, and this is a truth, and that's not a truth, you know. Yeah. Like, um, so there's a lot of that, you know, and and you know, um, and a lot of uh, academia, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, tend to be very grounded in in their beliefs, and and you know, the they stand on the shoulders of giants, right? Of, of this person wrote that, and this person wrote that, and this person, and that's why we're here. Well, what if one of them is wrong? Then the whole bloody thing's wrong, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. 
it's sort of like uh, it leads me down like the path of um going down conspiracies and such like that you know um you know there's obviously some truth behind it but then there's also people that will continue to share the conspiracy but they'll warp it to their own agenda to try and suit you know to get their followers or something you know to try and get their own belief system happening yeah yeah there's always a subjective uh view of history and a subjective view of what uh, what happens in history um so you know it's always going to be the case yeah that's unfortunate you know people need to go and lie and create their own agendas for their own benefits you know and instead of trying to benefit the world and just you know this is the whole government thing you know hiding things that should have been known to the public you know especially regarding ufos even though they've finally come out with it you know as we discussed their last episode mm. they're still hiding so much behind those closed doors that they just don't want to go and tell us just yet just because of their own agendas you know it, yeah, well i mean again you know it, it it comes back to the point you know that do they in their own twisted point of view think they're doing humanity a favor by not freaking them out you know like this could well be the case because you know if if the leading military leader in the u.s came out and said yeah there are ufos they have technology way beyond us and we just got to hope they're friendly because otherwise you know we're cactus um you know how are people going to handle that you know I don't know, maybe they would shrug their shoulders or maybe they wouldn't. Um, and, and this is maybe the point that people have, have said that this government, disinformation, misinformation, lack of information is in some way their way of protecting humanity from freaking out. Now, I don't think that's the case. I think we can handle the truth. Um, you know, and, you know, that's what I believe. I think we're advanced enough these days to be able to handle the truth. But, you know, if someone's been restricting this for 70 years, it becomes habitual. And that's where we are with the, a lot of these uh, organizations like the CIA, FBI, NSA, et cetera. Yeah. It sort of makes me wonder too, um, like, if they're honest, to begin with, you know, saying like, yep, look, we found these extraterrestrial beings, we've found these crafts or whatever crash crafts, or we've been interacting with these beings and they're coming to the public like 50 years ago, where would we be today? Like, you know, we could have been flying through the stars already by now, you know, and just, you know, having a whole sort of Star Wars saga going on our own planet, basically. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, this is the tragedy of that, you know, that we could have had so much more um, benefit from this understanding. Now, one of the things that, you know, I'm going to go on a bit of a, a um, uh, diversion here, um, but one of, you know, when I was doing investigations, one of the things that I was always looking for uh, as a logical, analytical person was common denominator. Right, common denominators among people who have seen UFOs. Now, pretty much I came to two common denominators. That was all I really got to. And one of them, strangely enough, is that as a, as a uh, 
person who worked for UFO research is like, well, da, 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 I would say to the people after the, you know, after I'd got the details of the sighting that they'd had, I'd say, well, look, you know, you're welcome to come to one of our meetings free of charge. If you want to talk about your sighting, you can. If you don't want to, you just want to mix with other people who have had similar sightings, you know, that's okay. You know, like whatever, you know, because as we know, there's not many places you can go and talk about this kind of stuff and not be ridiculed. But this is one place you can. So I was surprised that very, very few people ever went to any of the meetings. Very, very few people ever engaged with the organization or with the UFO community. They just sort of went, thanks very much. And this is our little family thing. And that's it. So I presuming that they wouldn't even speak about it unless there was, you know, they're watching the news and there was a UFO sighting over Russia or something, and they might talk about their sighting then. Or if if some people were coming over for guests for dinner and they said, you won't believe us, but we think we saw a UFO on the way over here. Well, they would probably talk about their encounter in that situation because they know that the guests that are coming over are open to the subject. But apart from that, it would stay in-house. So that was one aspect that was very much a common denominator amongst people that, that rang. And the other one was we had a list of questions that we used to ask people. And one of the questions we used to ask, is there any uh, psychological, uh, physiological, anything, changes that you've experienced since you've had the sighting. And um, one of the common denominators was people would say that they had felt that their consciousness had been expanded somewhat. They were not levitating, they were not Buddhist monks, but they felt significantly that their consciousness had been stretched and expanded by the experience, which, as it should, if you have seen something which is evidence to your brain that we are being visited by beings from other realities, other places, wherever they're coming from, of course that's going to expand your consciousness. And this is a common denominator amongst people that they have had their consciousness expanded somewhat some have even said that their esp levels have risen somewhat now i was fortunate enough to have a dinner with travis walton you, you I'm, I'm sure you know about travis walton fire yep. and sky the movie and the book and all the rest of it yep i was fortunate enough to have dinner with him and i asked him this very same i asked him this question uh I said, why the Christmas lights? You know, th these beings seem to have a very uh, covert uh, agenda, largely. They're, they're, you know, showing themselves to, you know, three or four people in the middle of the bush or something. You know, they're not landing in the middle of New York. So if they have a covert agenda, why do they have Christmas tree lights around them? And Quite a lot of UFOs tend to have this sort of thing yeah. where they have rotating, very, very colorful lights around them. Like 
Now, if, if the American military were checking out the Russian nuclear sites, they're not going to go over there with Christmas tree lights around them. You know, they're going to turn off every external light they can, um, you know, so as they are not seen and not noticed. Yet these craft are doing the exact opposite thing. And he said that in his understanding, he said, yes, this is strange. And I thought about it. And I think they want to be seen. Not by a lot of people, but by some. And so I think the drip feed thing applies, that they're drip feeding people. Now, what happens when people see these objects? They expand their consciousness. So maybe this is what they're trying to do in a very subtle way of expanding people's consciousness, making them more aware of the fact that they're not some little village on their own in this universe, that there's other beings around. And that's that's part of what they are doing. So on that, what are your thoughts on why they need the whole Christmas tree lights besides the being wanted to be seen thing? Is like, is that like you're pretty much your only theory, or is that like a, could there be more to it? I think it's just a matter of that they know that if if they are seen, then there is a, a very good chance, almost a one hundred percent chance that the beings that see them will have expanded their consciousness and they will be less freaked out at some point when first contact happens or happens um, because they have already accepted that we are being visited. Yeah. So how come they wouldn't do like a, a um, sort of like, a mass sort of exposure to certain different areas there like you know like uh, say for instance the phoenix lights for example mm. um you know that's sort of like a bit of a mass sort of sighting you know people questioning sort of they weren't like freaking yeah. out but they were really curious and like what if they like sort of did that in like just different sections around the world you know like that kind of mass exposure instead of having like one or two people that might by chance see it well i i you know, I think that you've got to understand that there are a lot of different visitors here. I mean, there's probably about three or four primary um, visitations, uh, the greys, the reptilians, um, to less extent, the insectoids, uh, and, you know, the human-like beings, call them, you know, the tall Nordics or Pleiadians or whatever you want to call them, yep. but the human-like beings. And, and that those four types of beings tend to make up most, not all, but most of reported interactions with aliens. So they are the four that are doing the heavy lifting. They are the four that have got the biggest agenda on this planet, whatever their agenda is. But there are many, many other different types, from blue blobs to all sorts of weird and wonderful creatures that people have seen and they all have different agendas so this is the point you know they all have different agendas so uh, whereby some may think that the slow drip feed thing is the way to go others may think differently and so you've got a you know the famous case in the 1980s where there was a 
um, solar eclipse in, over Mexico City. And everyone had their telescopes open and were looking at the solar eclipse. And there were hundreds of UFOs buzzing around the skies that were seen by thousands and thousands of people. You know, Jaime Misson, who was uh, one of the lead uh, investigators on the Mexican equivalent of 60 Minutes, uh, was very into you and still is very into UFOs. And he collected thousands and thousands of videos of people uh, showing these UFOs buzzing around the sky um, that people took during this, uh, you know, solar eclipse. So there are stories of mass encounters, absolutely. Um, but that may simply be because different beings have different agendas. Yeah, fair enough. So going on these beings there, like, do you feel like they might have like a bit of an alliance there and trying to control the world, similar to like how America's controlling this throughout the world, like by saying other nations can't share this information kind of thing? Or do you think that the other species must be like on, like, nah, buggies, we're going to do your own, our own thing sort of thing? Oh, I think they all do their own thing. You know, I, I, I do. I, I think they all have their own agendas and they do their own thing. Um, they had their own relationship to Earth, uh, one way or another. Um, and, you know, they regard the Earth as important for one reason or another. Um, so, yeah, I, I think they all have their own, their own thing to do. Um, but, yeah, you know, uh, and that shows out by, by the different kind of craft, the different kinds of beings. Um, you know, as I said, there, there are predominantly four main beings, but there are many, many others that have been reported. Um, so, and many, many different types of craft, uh, doing many, many different types of things, you know, um, abductions or contactees or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Have you heard of any of these species sort of going to war? Because I'm sort of referring to, I'm not sure if you're aware of um, Phil Tyndale's experience there when he was a young boy. He was um, in his room there with his brother looking out his window there and they're sort of overlooking a mountain range, looking in the valley and seeing this yellow craft come through the valley. They're just flying through, gliding through, whatever. And this other red craft came out of somewhere, nowhere, basically, and basically started interacting with this other object and it's sort of like pulling sort of basically he described it as like a, a um, tractor beam like it's something you see a Star Trek or Star mm, Wars basically mm. and trying to pull it away like you can, they could physically see the craft trying to escape but the resistance was there basically trying to pull it or stop it and it ended up having the craft crash into a tree and basically that was the whole encounter. It was through the news mm. um, newspapers and all sorts of stuff like so it sort of makes you wonder like is there like a bit of a, a war happening or a bit of a battle of some sort that's happening out there that you might be aware of? Um, you know, I go back to around about the 1500s in the Battle of Nuremberg, um, which was a huge fight uh, over the top of Nuremberg, Nuremberg in Germany in about 1516 or something or other like that. And uh, it was documented. And this was uh, craft firing at each other. Um, it, it's fairly rare um, t 
to get reports of this sort of thing. Um, I I don't think it personally. I I don't think it's a, an important factor. Um, I I whilst I do believe that many different races have many different agendas. Uh, I don't think it gets the point of uh, actually war uh, very often. Uh, we certainly haven't seen that kind of thing much in the modern UFO era from 45 onwards, uh, whereas there have been cases uh, in the uh, you know medieval times and, and before that where there seems to have been battles in the sky. Yeah, okay, fair enough. So there's obviously some sort of conflicts there when it comes to the pinch and pull, I suppose. You know, um, obviously somewhere there might have been words crossed. So I'm just trying to, I'm making assumptions here and just trying to come up with some sort of conclusion of the different agendas and, like, you know, as we do, um, human nature, we sort of have conflicts here or disagreements or something like that, you know, when we don't want someone to go and do that. So it sort of makes sense, like, you know, these beings with their own agendas, they'll have to go and have some sort of conflict at some point, you know, um, and it sort of makes you wonder too, like, is there like a, a uh, you know, a, a major controller, or, um, I'm trying to think of the word now, you know, someone who's in like major control of all these yeah, four species that are trying to look after the world. Yeah. Mm. yeah, it does make you wonder that, uh, whether there is, you know, like, uh, Stephen, Hawkins warned against us uh, sending signals out into space because he said, you know, if the bad guys get all these signals and zero in on it, you know, it could be very bad for us, like it was bad for the, you know, indigenous people of, you know, every country on the earth, you know, like it didn't turn out good for them. So could it be the same, you know, and he is thinking it could be. But uh, I, I guess... You know, at this point, I don't think the bad guys have really found us yet. If there are any bad guys out there, and if there are bad guys out there that do latch onto us and go, okay, you know, we're going to take all the water from this planet or, you know, whatever they see as something of value. Yes, would all the other beings, and there may be hundreds of them, um, in, in, you know, again, full main categories, but several other uh, beings that are visiting the planet, um, you know, in a uh, reconnaissance-like fashion. So are they all going to sit back and just let that happen? Well, I don't know. Is there a galactic council? Is there something that, you know, would say, no, we can't allow this to happen? Uh, one would hope so. Uh, I don't know. But, yes, a lot of people have, have spoken about the Galactic Council, and a lot of this information has come from contactees, and uh, you know, I don't know, you know, whether that's true or not. I, I don't know, you know, but um, yes, you'd like to think there was some sort of galactic police force of some kind to stop someone from wandering in and just, you know, take what they want from a planet and leaving it wrecked yeah absolutely because like there's there's nothing we can do to sort of stop them like either we'll try and fight and we'll lose anyway or we'll try and just 
blow them up completely using our nukes and destroy the whole planet altogether. You know, it's one of those things like if they really wanted to, they could have blitzed us out years ago when we were in our yeah, stone yeah. age, basically, or even our, you know, we're before in World War. We're, we're yeah. that technologically advanced to even try and make a decent fight out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, interesting, I, I, I got onto the fact that I don't remember how I got onto it, but I got onto the fact that there was a wing commander at Strategic Air Command in Canberra whose job it was to come up with a plan for the defence of Australia in the case of a outer space attack. There actually is a person who's this job, this is their job. So I managed to track them down and I spoke to the wing commander and it's not his whole job, it's part of his job. So part of his job, amongst other things, is coming up with a plan to defend Australia against an outer space attack. One person. So I hope that makes you feel warm and fuzzy. Yeah, I feel really, <laughs> um, really secure and safe. You know? <laughs> I would anyway, have nations um, would have covered all this. Like I thought it would have been like a worldwide sort of thing that was to figure out, like you know, whether it be a um, massive meteor coming in to hit us, or even you know, like from a, a hostile nation using satellites or nukes from space. You know, similar thing. Surely that would have been a whole thing covered. From different countries of allied nations yeah well as i said from an australian point of view he was the one guy and it was part of his job um to work out you know what defense strategy australia would have if they were attacked by ets uh you know aggressive ets now it's interesting that i think back on and H.G. Wells wrote this book, I think, in the 1890s, War of the Worlds. And in that book, the Martians were defeated by the common cold. And my belief is that forget the nukes, forget your conventional m missiles and all that, because they have proven to be totally um irrelevant when it comes to stopping these craft they can blow these things in midair they can destroy them in midair you know like come on so i think you know that our best defense in this regard and it's not necessarily something really bad like you know uh the you know some sort of covid or some really bad virus just the simple common cold would probably be enough because these beings coming from another planet would not have a natural immunity to something as simple as the common cold, just like in H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds, and it would destroy them. So I think if I were that person at Wing Command in Strategic Air Command Canberra, I'd be coming up with snot bombs. Biological warfare, basically. Biological warfare. And not... And it, it doesn't need to be anything that's going to kill a lot of humans. It'll be just, you know, hit them, hit them with the common cold. Hit them with, you know, just hit them with vast amounts of germs, common yeah. cold germs. 
Now, germs, as you know, will get in anywhere. So even if it's a spacecraft, it, it you know it'll hang around the outside. It'll live through while, while they go back to the ship, and they'll come out of the ship, and one of them will get the cold, and next thing you know, all of them will have the cold, and that'll be it. So, you know, you you these are the things that we need to think about um, from the point of view of defense of our planet, because as you said, nuclear weapons and our conventional military weapons are not going to work. But yet something like biological warfare, but not necessarily, you know, really bad stuff for humanity that's going to wipe out half of humanity, doesn't need to be that bad because they have no, <coughs> pardon me, no defence mechanism. Now, when the first fleet arrived in Australia, um, a lot of the uh, first leaders had smallpox. Now, smallpox made the white people sick. It killed huge amounts of Indigenous people, killed them because they did not have an immunity to smallpox. That's right. And you look at um, Spanish flu to the Aztecs, I think it was. Um, I'm pretty sure it was the Aztecs or when Spanish went over to um, South America there. Um, pretty much wiped out civilizations there with the Spanish flu. Same concept. Exactly. So but, we need to learn from history. Yeah, definitely. Um, but as a defense for um, going from an ET sort of things, I'm sure you're aware of uh, people claiming hybridization and such for their species, uh, which I believe they're already sort of doing. Um, you know, people have been getting inducted, getting their... Um, eggs, mm. sperm samples, and sort of creating a hybridization of their species. To me, that I feel that could be is like their maybe their way of defense to build an immune system to our sicknesses and illnesses and such. Perhaps you know, perhaps a very interesting thought because um, they will, you know. If you're looking at advanced civilization, guess what? They're going to have no diseases. They're going to have no this, no that. They've, you know, eradicated everything. Smarty pants. Yeah. But that makes them vulnerable. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, we, we don't have any disease anymore. We've eradicated all disease. When you come to a filthy planet like Earth, we've got heaps of diseases. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, you don't really, oh, I don't know if you, like, really hear much of, um, you know, these beings actually coming out physically and, you know, sort of researching the land or doing something. All, all I seem to hear is mostly stories of them coming in, picking people up, and then taking them back, um, but not really seem to be interacting with the environments as such. It's mostly done from their crafts, hovering around, basically. I'm not sure what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of interaction, as far as I'm aware, uh, with the uh, plant life uh, of the planet, um, you know, and those sorts of things. You know, it seems to be more, and even when they do take people, it is obviously a genetic uh, agenda, right, with the, particularly with the greys, which I believe are controlled by the reptilians and to some extent the insectoids uh, as their masters. Um, that yes, uh, they're looking at uh, a genetic agenda 
that's there. Now, what that genetic agenda is, as you say, whether it's to develop a resistance to, to germs uh, so as we can't apply that weapon against them, um, or, or whether it's because their planet uh, or their species have uh, reached a point where they're unable to reproduce, so they've got to do something about that. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of speculation there, a lot of ideas that can sort of come from it. And obviously, we're never going to really know the answers to these things there. But it just, it's just, it just makes a real interesting point, like especially when it comes to a conflict aspect of trying to defend ourselves against a hostile being from, you know, extraterrestrial, basically. Um, it sort of, sort of makes you really wonder, like, what would work against these? And uh, I suppose, like, when you really think about it, biological probably would be a better... It's the only thing I can think of that would, would work because I know that uh, species that have not had a, a, a natural immunity, they have not had, uh, you know, uh, contact with these sort of germs would be, you know, historically, we know that that's going to be very bad for them. So... You know, that that's what I think is the, you know, as strange as it sounds, you know, hit them with snot bombs, but um, that really is, I think, the best way of looking at it. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a uh, pessimistic person. I, I think most of these ETs that are visiting, uh, you know, certainly the ones that are visiting so far, thus far, um, as you pointed out before, if they wanted to knock us off, halfway through the First World War, halfway through the Second World War would have been a real good time to do it. Um, but they didn't. So I'd, I'm not concerned from that point of view. But as Stephen Hawkins pointed out, um, which is a valid argument, that maybe the bad guys haven't found us yet. And if they do, well, yes. You know, as we said before, is there some galactic federation that will protect us? Maybe, maybe not. We don't know. And if they do come at us, then our uh, military weapons and even nukes are not going to save us. So we have to come up with something else. And we know that if you hit a being, any kind of race of human or whatever, that is not used to a particular kind of germ, and you hit him with that germ, they're going to go down bad. Yeah. No, it, it's gonna be crazy and i hope we never get to that point to say the least but um yeah it's kind of scary when you think about it just um how quickly we could be taken out if we're in, in reality well you, you know i mean as i said i'm not a pessimistic person i don't think this will happen but like hello you know you've got to be open to what if the bad guys find us and what if there is no galactic federation and what if we have to defend ourselves well you know, let's think about it. What yeah. can we do? You know, now this makes sense to me as an option. And it sort of, sort of throws out the idea where, you know, where people are, um, you know, bringing out the, the speculation of the US government going to bring out a a fake UFO invasion, alien invasion, basically. Um, to me, that is sounds stupid. Uh, basically, on the context of, if this was the case, America has known this for however long. 
uh, of these UFOs or alien ET existence, and then to go and fake a alien invasion, they're basically just saying these things weren't a threat, but all of a sudden they are a threat. It's like, well, where did hmm. that just suddenly come from? Yeah, well, uh, Werner von Braun, who, of course, was the father of rocketry, um, originally a Nazi scientist who was uh, employed by the American government under Operation Paperclip, where they went in there and grabbed as many Amer uh, German scientists as they could because German scientists were travelling well ahead of everyone else. Um, and Werner von Braun became the father of the American space uh, uh, network. Um, now, he, in his later years, was very concerned about the idea that America would create a false flag invasion in order to uh, create a situation of panic, a situation where people were afraid. And, and if you create a situation, we've seen this with COVID. If you create a situation of panic and people are afraid, they're very easily controllable. Yeah, absolutely. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. You know, it sort of puts it on the perspective there to like, you know, control is a big thing, but it could also work in the favor of doing a fake invasion by unifying the entire world, basically. Because, you know, obviously we're in so much conflict between different countries here. And I think it's been said before by uh, one of the presidents there. Yeah, Ronald Reagan. Yeah, yeah that's him. Um, you know, he said that if it was to be an alien invasion of some sort there, humanity would unite basically and try and fight together that's like the only time in world's history that we'd actually unite under one agenda under the one flag the basically, flag of yeah. humanity not the flag of the american or the australian or you know iraq or anyone uh, under the flag of you know we are all humans and these buggers want to take us down so you know no matter what you 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 know, religion is or what your skin colour is or anything, um, you know, it's us against them and we are humans and they ain't. So, yes, um, it could easily fall the other way. I, I don't believe that they're going to spring such a thing. I, you know, I I'm agree with you. I don't think that's uh, on the cards. I know Werner von Braun is a very respectable person and he was very concerned about it, but I, I don't think that's what's going to happen uh, myself, you know, and I think that, you know, I, I look at it that we are either going to get first contact or first intervention, one or the other, and they are very different because first contact, and I think we're a long way away from first contact, um, is where they land and say, hey, let's chat and 
let's see what how we can help you to advance as a species and you know yada 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 i think we're a long way from that because we're so warlike and so primitive as a you know society as a whole a global society as a whole and sort of makes you wonder too like where would they go for that first concert mm-hmm. I, I know a lot of people assume they go rocking up on the uh the white house there in america but it's like there's other countries as well you know like what would make them so special basically yeah yeah you know like hey, it could end up anywhere could end up zimbabwe or something yeah you know? <laughs> no. um but the other thing is that you know intervention is a different uh, kettle of fish because first intervention um would be regard to our mismanagement of our environment and i i believe that the ETs, I believe the planet is a living organism. You know, strange as it might sound to a lot of people, but I believe the planet is a living organism. So very different to us, but nonetheless a living organism. And it sustains seven and a half billion people. And I think that ETs would see the planet as being more important than the beans in in much the same way as the dog is more important than the fleas yeah so if we were to take our planet to the edge of environmental destruction i think we would get first intervention which would be very different to first contact which would be listen guys you can't do this anymore you've got to play by our rules uh we will not stand by and see the earth destroyed so you're going to do this by our rules otherwise there's going to be trouble and i i i see that as first intervention and i'm not sure which one is going to happen first it depends on how we look after the environment i guess yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it sort of makes you wonder how, like, you know, because the world is sort of on a bit of a decline, you know, people uh, with, you know, climate change and all sort of stuff. But I sort of feel like, like, yeah, we do play a big part in the climate change sort of things too, but I sort of feel like the world sort of evolves in its own way too. Um, you, like, you look at the thousands of years sort of thing where, you know, you've got the ice ages, you've got the, know, mm. the climate's changed throughout the life of the world, basically. And I sort of feel like we do go, we are like sort of seeing that sort of process happening. Um, I think it's just because we're uh, logging everything, all the events that are happening around the world now. Everything's a lot more, um, oh, I'm trying to think of it now, put it to paper basically so we can watch the history of the whole planet basically, you know? Yeah. Um, so like I think, in the, yeah, look, climate change is happening. We are playing a part, but I think there's a lot more of it is just world evolution as well. And, I think we're not claiming that we're not accepting that part into it. Mm, mm, mm. Well, I mean, just pollution and things like that, you know, like rubbish washing up on beaches and, you know, huge islands the size of Hawaii in the middle of the Pacific uh, formed of plastics. Mm. You know, I mean, this sort of thing is, is not good. Obviously. Oh, definitely. Look, no, look, by all means, like we do need to go and clean up, Eric, that's for sure. Um, we have basically... You know, based in the last 
20 odd years where we started getting into the plastic era of the of the world um it's just destroyed everything like plastics was a great invention but it's also been a, a big downfall for the environment as well um, yeah well i mean you know you're looking at these microplastics you know that are, uh, break down these microplastics and they're they're in everything like they're in fish and oysters and prawns and you know like and we're digesting it you know it's just whoa um yeah it's not good for them it's not good for us so you know there's a lot of things that we could be doing better to work in harmony with the planet um you know and i'm not saying you know i i think that yes it, you know doing knee-jerk reactions to climate change is not this you know they've got to be well thought out things and they've got to be things that are going to benefit things and you know etc but um Having said that, you know, there are a lot of things that are quite obvious that, that need to change. Yeah, absolutely. Which also makes me wonder, like, um, get led down the path of the spiritual side of things. Like, you know, we, we, were, we used to be really spiritually connected to the world um, back in the, mm. you know, like, Stone Age kind of days or even, like, going after that. Um, you know, it sort of leads me down to the spiritual sense of this thing. You know, people have always claimed um, whether this, these beings are... Uh, what sort of base religion in a sense because like obviously back in those days they would be regarded as a god to us and so were a lot of these things influenced to become a bit of a religious aspect to today's standards and you know obviously back in those days connected to the world spiritually uh, and some sort of spiritual influence to these beings as well uh Obviously, there's a connection there between the spiritual side of things. It even comes into the paranormal side of things where we're connected to, uh, we can talk to the dead, basically. So mm -hmm. where on this kind of sense of the things, can we uh, involve ETs to spiritual aspects? Well, I think, you know, uh, I don't relate uh or acknowledge to any particular religion, uh, organized religion at all. I regard myself as a spiritual man, but I'm not affiliated with any particular organized religion. But the one religion that I am most attracted to is paganism because of the very things that you just said, that they worshipped nature. You know, they worshipped nature. They also had, in the early days of paganism, a social uh, situation where the females were the healers and in charge of the spiritual realm, and the men were in charge of war and hunting. And there was a balance between the two. And everything was peachy until the men decided they didn't like being told occasionally that they couldn't do what they wanted to do. So they decided to then take over the spirituality part of the equation in order to have that, uh, you know, um, power over the group. And that's when everything went south. And that's when the world became, uh, you know, uh, 
patriarchal rather matriarchal. Well, actually, there wasn't even matriarchal in that. It was a balance between the two, which is the perfect thing to have, the balance between the female saying, no, we're not going to go have a war. I don't care what happened. We're not going to have a war with that tribe. That is not the right thing to do. So we're not going to do it. And boom, didn't happen. We don't have that balance anymore. Yeah, well, you look at, uh, like, going through uh, my knowledge of people having these experiences with ETs or UFOs and that, I sort of find that it's more typically women that seem to have the more uh, repetitive sort of sightings or experiences. And so it sort of makes you wonder, like, obviously, uh, as you're saying, like, you know, women were the more spiritual healers and such. Or, you know, they, they seem to have, like, some sort of stronger connection with the spiritual side of things as well. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, that's the, you know, I mean, we all know men and women are different, right? They think different, you know, and that's not being, you know, sexist. That's just calling it what it is. And, you know, and yes, uh, a lot of women have uh, a different vibe about this sort of thing. They're not so mathematical. Men are very mathematical about things, you know, and boom, 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 you know, one plus one equals two, and that's it. Whereas women tend to be more uh, accepting of things that are beyond mathematics. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, so so that makes me like, um, obviously, there has been a connection between UFOs, spirits, spiritual side of things, uh, paranormal. Where does this sort of come into play, do you think, when it comes to the paranormal side of things and ETs as well? Well, I, I I think that uh, women, generally speaking, uh, and I'm generalising here, obviously, um, are more open to paranormal and UFO experiences because they don't have the same rigidity um, that men do, uh, which is no, um, which is no down on men. It's just that the things are perfect purpose built you know if you're going to go out and hunt and kill animals and bring them back and fight to save your tribe you're a purpose built being and you know if you're going to raise children and you know all that you're a purpose built being so you know we are very different purpose built beings in a lot of ways um, from that perspective and I think that so because of that, we, we can often see things in different ways. Yeah, there's a lot of broadening sort of things. Like, you know, people claim that, like, you know, they've got the um, psychic abilities and such, like, you know, being able to predict the future or, you know, this, or even communicate with the dead. And, it, like, again, like, it, I sort of feel like it seems to come from the women's side of things, which makes me feel that, there's, yeah, like you're saying, like, there's got to be some sort of broader perspective there on the women's side of things that seem to be able to unlock that sort of connection or open to that environment in a sense you know like even though we're like we're all sort of open to the idea that or not all everyone but you know most of us are all open to the idea that you know there's something out there i feel like yeah women seem to have a a, a stronger connection in that sense and it's sort of strange and interesting well, I you know i mean 
one of the things that you know how often do you hear the term women's intuition yeah oh it's woman's intuition you know like yeah they have a closer connection with into intuition because there's not so much factuality getting in the way yeah so it sort of makes it funny too like how does that even come into an evolution to uh, human biology basically to have that sort of sense uh, where did that come into it is it something that sort of became nature to humans basically or was it something that might have might have been introduced from uh these extraterrestrials or maybe even from the spiritual side i, I don't know like, i feel like it'd be something that would have had to evolve us into that sort of aspect of well, I think to some extent it's just like, you know, what their various jobs were. Uh, what their various jobs were defined what they were. They were hunters and killers and, you know, defenders. Um, or they were healers and spiritual people. So, you know, um, you, you, you're in a different mindset there. You know, you're in a totally different mindset. And one of the things that I think I, I wear a... Uh, symbol around my neck which is a ancient celtic symbol of balance and it's three circles uh balancing upon each other and i try and live my life in accordance with that i think balance is very important and i think again like i was saying about the early pagan religion where everything was peachy when they had balance. Once they got out of balance, things went south. So this is what I'm saying, you know, that balance is very important. And it's not like men, men need to be men, women need to be men, women, and all that kind of thing. But as Carl Jung pointed out when he uh, did the uh, precursor to the Maya Briggs test, that the ideal position between, you know, and he, he went on to talk about intuitive uh, or, or, sorry, uh, uh, you know, introverts and extroverts and intuitive and sensory and thinking and feeling. And what he was talking and you know, when he said all these things about what people were, he said, people are, you know, very much, sometimes people are very much thinking and very much feeling or very much this or very much that. And he said, the ideal is to be somewhere near the middle. And I think that's where we need to be. And I think that's, that's the goal of humanity, to have that, you know, it's not like males are not males and females are not males, but uh, females are not females. But... Can we sort of try and meet somewhere in the middle? Uh, I think that's a very admirable uh, cause. Yeah, absolutely. And look, that's what that's what, it's just all basically saying is that we need world peace. You know, have you know? Well, I think it's just it's self-explanatory. World peace. No one's got their own agendas. Everyone's just like on the same page, on the same board. You know, basically just happy, living their life free. Um, no real control, it's, it's, you know, and everyone will be happy, you know, it's, it's a, as you yeah. say, perfect well, balance. Well, you know, 
you know, information, uh, when, you, when you talk to another human being, you are, in essence, exchanging perspectives. That's what you're doing. You're exchanging perspectives. You're not, it's not about ramming your perspective down someone else's throat. That is not communication as best. Communication as best is saying, what do you think about this? Well, from my perspective, it's this. And then you go, well, from my perspective is this, and you shake hands and you go in your separate ways. That's how it should be, because understanding that people are going to have different perspectives about things, accepting that, accepting that people are going to have different perspectives because they've had different lives, they've had different parents, they've had different life experiences, and so on and so on. So once you accept that, then you just hear someone else's story. That's what it should be. Not I'm adjusting your story or you are wrong or anything. And and this is this is the precursor to humanity becoming the potentiality it can have. There's a lot of potential, isn't there? Um, is this basically I guess the world, you know, the nations having to come together and just put their differences aside and just work together. And going back to onto that, uh, you know, alien, fake alien invasion, that, that I feel that's what we sort of do need to happen to get that because I don't think we're going to get this world peace any other way, you know. It's it's a sad thought, really, in my my opinion. Um, mm. I think there's just still too much conflict there, you know, too much um uh, oh too much dominance i suppose you might be the word for it you know the political agendas control domination of some kind of control but, you know, so. one of the things that you know, you you've got different countries you've got different cultures you've got different religions you know like yet so many religions you know, have commonality, hmm. you know, um, and it, it, where religions are distorted is through perception of the people who are running that religion, who want it to be seen in a certain way. Yeah, warped it to their own agenda. No. Well, I mean, if you look at the King James Bible, Right, which is uh, the the Bible that we most people look at today. Uh, it was controlled by King James. King James asked the scribes, "Take that out, take this out, take that out, because it doesn't suit to me." Yeah. Right. So, and I'm not saying a lot of the Bible isn't the truth, but a lot of it isn't because King James changed it because it didn't suit him. Mm. Now. It's interesting uh, when you think about the Quran, that Quran, right, you know, you think, oh, that was written by Muhammad. No, it wasn't written by Muhammad at all. It was written by Muhammad's wife and Muhammad's mother-in-law because what happened was Muhammad was a uh, assassin and that is a political assassin. That was his job. Now, as a political assassin at the time, in about 
whatever it was, 500 AD, it was a very respected job. It was up there with, you know, solicitors and doctors and everything. It was a very respected job. Now, part of uh, being an assassine was to smoke a lot of hash. That's what you did if you were an assassine. So what he used to do is go up to the mountain and smoke a lot of hash and have a lot of weird dreams. And then he would come home and talk to his wife and his mother-in-law about his dreams. And they interpreted those dreams. And the interpretation of those dreams is what the Quran is. It sort of makes you wonder too, then, how much of other religions are sort of based on that sort of same concept. Because like, obviously, you know, uh, you go through our modern sort of Bible there, you know, Bushes talking to old mate over here or, you know, God's telling Noah or something, you know, some sort of uh, character in the, the Bible's there. Like, how much of these are actual people that could have been under influence of some sort of substance, to say? Well, I think that the, the, the point is, is the, the perspective, right, that if the Quran was interpreted by Muhammad's wife and, and mother-in-law, which is what it was, there is no way that they're going to say that the woman stands behind the camel, you know, because this is interpreted by two women. Like, that's crazy. And there was a woman at used to come to UFO Research New South Wales, and she was a Jewish woman. And she read the Quran, and she said, this book is a book of love. This book is a book of love. You know, she was a Jewish woman. So it it all comes down to perception. It all comes down to interpretation of what words mean. Yeah, let's do that. That's um, as you're saying, yeah, interpretation, and a lot of people can mis misinterpret a lot of things too. Uh, well, they misinterpret it for their for for their own reasons, or they misinterpret it. I mean, the Bible was, uh, I think it was originally Hebrew, and then it went to Greek, and then it went to Latin, and then it went to English. Like each of these uh, translations offers up opportunities for people to be wrong about the translation yeah look honestly to me like all religion there is wrong its own way like basically all the like is a control thing for me and also like i know they're trying to say like you know you do the wrong thing the judgment of god's going to get you and like honestly what's stopping people just from going look just be a good person that's all you need to be. You don't need to have some sort of judgment yeah. from God behind you. There's the fear of God behind you. Just be a good person in your own way. There's no need for to have a religious agenda behind you to try and back you up to make you feel better about yourself. You know? Yeah. It doesn't need, you don't need that. No. Well, I mean, you know, as I said, I don't identify with any religion. Neither. But if you look at Christianity, Jesus took people away from the church and took, him, took them onto the hill and said, you do not have to pay money, and you don't have to do jump through any hoops to hear the word of God. Yeah. And, and you know, I mean, poor Jesus. Look at now, you know, like, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, I've got to go to church, and you've got to, you know, 
and whatever the priest says is is what God says, and you know whatever the the the, the bishop says is is closer even to God. What God, you know, like he just, he said when he was alive, it's just like it's a personal relationship with you and whatever your version of God is. It's a yeah. personal relationship. Yeah, and I guess that comes down to the interpretation side of things, doesn't it? You know, some people want to interpret it as, you know, well, depending on their religion, that's their, they're the rightful religion. Whereas, you know, the way you're saying it, Jesus is saying you are your own person to go and, you know, make that connection, make the, your own personal perspective of what God is to you. Yeah. Um, so again, Look, I think perspectives. All, all, all religions have pearls of wisdom whether it be buddhist or muslim or christian or whatever zarathustian they all have their pearls of wisdom and it's about what resonates with the individual so if you hear something that someone says and it resonates with you then you embrace it and if it doesn't resonate with you you don't and it's not about any external person telling you that should resonate you know, with it doesn't. Yeah. It either do or it don't. Yeah, well, obviously, look, you're your own person. It's entirely up to you how you want to interpret these things. It's, um, you know, it, but basically all, all you need to do is just be a good person, be good to everyone else, be kind, peaceful, friendly. There's no need to, you know, um, oh, destroy the world, basically. You know, there's no need for that. Just... And we could all be a happy community. I think this is is part of what the whole, and this is what I think a a lot of the reason why this whole UFO thing has been, you know, shut down and all that kind of thing is because if we realize these people are from other planets, they're not going to be Muslims or Christians or Zarathustians or anything else. They're from another bloody planet. Yeah. And yet, they may be spiritual beings that have their own religion. Whoa. Like, you know, you see that yeah. it breaks, it, it makes, this is the expanding of consciousness I was talking about earlier. If you expand your consciousness to understanding that, there, you know, you think there's a lot of religion on this planet. Man, how many religions are in the universe? Yeah. And which one's the right one? <laughs> yeah. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's simply about picking out what parts of each religion resonate with you and going with it. Yeah. You know, and this is what I mean, that this is where ETs could really expand us and, and make us understand that there are so many different perspectives of religion in the universe, and they all have their wisdom. They all have their beauty. Absolutely. Yeah, look, uh, I feel it, and that's, um, you know, where, I guess, peace comes into it, that peace and balance, basically, throughout the world. Again, you don't need a Bible to go and tell you that. It's just all how you want to present yeah. yourself basically so yeah and i think that the whole et reality is going to make people look at religion in that way 
that, you know, like, whoa, you know, these people are thousands and thousands of years advanced and they have a totally different religion to what we have. Yeah. Uh, and yet it has worked for them remarkably well because they haven't had any wars for 10,000 years. Yeah, absolutely. So still touching on the uh, the religious aspect of things, what are your thoughts when people claim that these beings could be, you know, fallen angels um, or, you know, they could be forces of hell, you know, that kind of sort of things, or like Nephilim basically? Yeah, there, there, there is a understanding that there are evil entities in in the universe, and they may not be physical. So we may find ourselves influenced at certain times by these entities, energetic entities energetic entities um and yes so we have to be mindful of that um that a certain amount of things because certainly there are situations where uh people have reported ufo type situations but yet they've had poltergeist like situations uh at the same time so is it a poltergeist thing or a UFO thing? They're not quite sure. So I think, or is it an interdimensional thing? You know, <laughs> like, yeah, it's another thing to throw in there. So I think that uh, one must look at these things. Uh, you know, one must protect your soul uh, in whatever way you can, um, because there may be evil entities evil energies in the world that because uh, we sort of eat bread and meat and potatoes and all that kind of thing but not all entities may eat the same way as we do and it has been proposed that a lot of these evil entities uh, actually feed on our fear on our hate on the very things that destroy us Yeah, I've heard of these different theories that, like, you know, it could be, um, well, as you're saying, dimensional beings or a some sort of spiritual uh -huh. entity. You know, like, as you say, like, I've, I've, um, when I was speaking to um, Joyce there a little while back, and I was even speaking to uh, Triffin from Unlocking the Code, um, he was sort of talking a bit on the spiritual side of things as well. And, like, when he's... Um, yeah, when it comes to like the spiritual side of things, we have some sort of connection there where we can like have a bit of an interaction as well, or they can interact from mm -hmm. that side as as well. And you know, um, I'm not sure if I mentioned to you last time on the last episode, I can't remember now. But basically, they're having a um a wake because his grandfather passed away with Triffin there from uh, unlocking the code, and they had a couple of glasses of port, and there was one extra glass there, and they put that up for his grandfather who passed away. And, you know, everyone's all mingling, talking, chatting away, having, talking, whatever. And they turned back and the glass was empty. No. Um, you know, and then they sort of all started bickering and carrying on going, all right, who emptied it or who drank it, you know, all that sort of stuff. And they sort of got towards the end of it. Everyone sort of started realizing that, no, they weren't 
no one's touched it. Mm. And so it sort of makes you wonder, like, where does that come part into this whole thing? They're like, they're, obviously, they're thinking that the grandfather's drunk it. And so, so where does it come through with all those entity and dimensional beings in that, where we can also touch on the, the paranormal side of things within that sort of aspect, um, if that makes a bit of sense. Yeah, well, see, once we go, once we go from the physical form of mere mortals, like we are, uh, to the non-physical form, uh, all barriers are gone. Like, if 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 we go, I call it the universe of Kresh, you know, for want of a better word, but we all go to this universe of Kresh, right, which is this giant waiting room where we're in between uh, reincarnations, and that is God. Anyway, um, once we go to this place, it's, it's like the souls from every single planet on the universe are there and they are all souls because we have no physical presence. We have no physical identity. We're not a human. We're not a zetereticulan. We're not this. We're not that. We are simply souls. So all of that disappears. And, and this is why I believe a lot of people don't want to leave you know i don't believe everyone regenerates i believe that all everyone regenerates regularly you know some people may want to stay in this crash for a very long time like perhaps thousands and thousands of years because it is acceptance because it is love because there is no difference all souls it's only when we reincarnate or regenerate that we become male, female, earth, zetereticulan, uh, Pleiadian, or whatever. You know, it's only then that we have a difference. Yeah, it's, it's a lot, isn't it? It's sort of a lot to take in on that sort of thing. It's obviously one of those things we'll never sort of fully understand until that point. Um, till we all sort of cross over. Um, and unfortunately, we can't even get that information to tell everyone else what it's like over the other side there to get a better understanding. But um, look, yeah. we're, we're sort of coming towards the end of the show there. I've got a couple of quick questions there before we finish up. Sure. Um, I'll get this question back up there. Um, now, apparently there's been uh, recent talk of human mutilizations by ETs. I haven't heard much on this there. Um, so how credible are these stories, basically, if you've heard anything on this? Human mutilations yeah i haven't heard anything on this so i'm not sure where they're getting this information from i've not heard yeah that's unfortunate no, i'm sort of a bit questionable on that too i'm sort of hoping that you might have known <laughs> yeah no i've not heard um certainly cattle mutilations horse mutilations uh i have heard of um uh, but human mutilations i have never heard of any yeah, no, neither have I. It's always been, um, you know, abductions and stuff like that. So it's, it's definitely certainly got me confused on that one there. And I think there was another question there, but I can't seem to find it now. So if anyone else has got any more questions before we finish up, I'm sure to go and throw them in there quickly. Um, just trying to find this other one there. Uh, oh, hang on, there we go. 
Um, well, so what is being hidden in Antarctica? Obviously, it's like you would have heard different theories and concepts there with Antarctica. Um, so basically, why is there so much military secrecy and presidential political visits? Um, I haven't really heard much of. No, that that is very true. That is very true. That is that is definite. Um, that there have been a lot of military and high-profile people visiting Antarctica. There has been a lot of craft uh, identified by you know Google Earth and things like that that people have found um, that shouldn't be there. Um, yeah, you know, Antarctica is certainly a place. Uh, to keep your eyes on um, because, you know, and there's also been uh, people that have said that there is a entrance uh, somewhere in the middle of Antarctica, you know, where UFOs have a base and they go into as well. So, yeah, a lot of weird stuff is happening in Antarctica, absolutely. Yeah, I have seen a video there where there's like a big spiral sort of tunnel that goes through the side of a mountain. Now, I'm not sure if that's actually located in Antarctica, but it looks absolutely amazing um, and really intriguing on what's created that. It's sort of like, it almost looks like a, a drill hole sort of, like it's got a spiral drill hole as if it's something drilled into it. Um, and over time, yeah, obviously, yeah. it's, it's uh, the wind and the lots of stuff sort of uh, smooths it all out, so you can't really notice it as much, but it, it's really intriguing and what's created that because like yeah obviously lava is not going to create that um because it'd be a lot different compared to what you know a circular tunnel i'm not sure if you've seen it no i haven't but i've seen a lot of anomalies uh in regard to antarctica i've seen a lot of information in regard to anomalies in regard to antarctica so it, it, it is somewhere that I think, you know, bears watching. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. I'll try and find that video for you and I'll send it through to you. Um, so um, also, what about your theories on, um, you know, people claiming that the Germans went down there during World War Two? Yeah, interesting. Um, uh, you know, I, I am not entirely convinced that uh, that happened. Um, again, I, I, I spoke to you last time about my neutral position, <laughs> yeah. and this is one of those neutral positions sort of thing. <laughs> I'm not going to argue against it, and I'm not going to argue for it. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it just seems I know the Nazis had, the Nazi scientists, you know, had a, a big uh, gap on the Western scientists, you know, at the time during the Second World War. But to say that they had a gap of that size uh, is a bit of a stretch for me. Yeah, I'm still in the same boat. Like I'm, I'm always open to the idea of all possibilities. But again, like I'm one of those people. I'd rather have the the direct knowledge in front of me or the direct evidence in base in front of me, basically to say, "Yep, all right, look, no, it's, look, it makes a fair claim to you know what is actually true." Um, mm. Yeah. So um, I can't see anyone else bring up any questions there, unfortunately, not yet. But um, look, yeah, mate, I think we'll end it there, mate. Well, we didn't get to touch on where I was wanting to go to tonight because we sort of got lost in a lot of other things there. Um, so again, mate, um, if you're happy to come on the show again at some point there, I'd love to get you back on there and just um, continue on back through your history, basically. Yeah, cool. Happy to, happy to be there anytime you like.
No worries, mate. Look, again, thank you very much for coming on the show. And uh, where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you or listen to your show? Well, they can uh, tune in to NIM, N-I-M, F-M, um, Monday between 2 and 3. I do a UFO show. Uh, or Thursdays between 2 and 4. Uh, between 2 and 3, I do a, a philosophy show called Think About It. And between 3 and 4, I do a music show called Soundscapes. Uh, plus, there's uh, UFO U, Y O U, um, on my uh, uh, on my uh, YouTube site. Uh, and if they want to get into a philosophy, there's the Stone Philosopher on uh, Instagram, uh, where I've got sixteen hundred and seventy uh, aphorisms there. Awesome, definitely go and check that out. So yeah, look again. Thank you very much, mate. Um, coming on is absolutely awesome, mate. You're um, <laughs> you're basically an encyclopedia, basically when it comes to this sort of thing. That you're like men of information, going crossing all the aspects on this, and, and um, absolutely appreciate you sharing your knowledge with us, mate. It's um, fantastic. Yeah, man, it, it's my job. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You know, it's my job. It's what I'm here for. So yeah. you know, anything that supports what I'm here for, I love. Yeah. It, it's just so many different wormholes too. Like we can go down so many different roads and yeah, we're sort of diving off to different points here and there and like we could go on for hours basically. So yeah, definitely going to need to get you to come back on again at some point and then we'll just continue down this wormhole that is this whole UFO agenda. So again, mate, thank you very much for coming on. No worries, mate. Thank you, Anthony. All the best, mate. Cheers. Talk to you soon. And that will do it, folks, for this episode of Encounters Down Under. I hope you enjoyed the show, and remember, you can also get involved in the show by joining the Facebook page and getting in on the live streams. Also, please be sure to share with your friends and family to help us grow, and potentially find our next guest on the show. If you or you know someone who has had an encounter, please get in touch with me through our Facebook page via Messenger, or email at australianufosightings at outlook.com.au. I look forward to seeing you on the next Encounter Down Under. Hooroo! Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.